0: This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello,
1: and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. On this episode, we interview Craig Swensrud and Sean Whiteley, who are the co-founders of Qualified, a conversational marketing platform. Craig and Sean have founded three companies together, and also worked together at Salesforce where Sean was Senior Vice President and GM of Salesforce.com and Craig was CMO. In this interview, Sean and Craig discuss what conversational marketing is, why it's crucial to the future of marketing, and what it takes for marketers to become successful founders. One final note, this interview was conducted live at Serious Decisions 2019 in Austin on the convention floor, so please excuse a little bit of background noise. With that said, please enjoy this interview with Sean and Craig.
2: Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes.
3: Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And here in Austin, Texas at Serious Decisions, Lauren Vaccarello. Hey,
4: everybody. It is amazing to be in Austin today. We are no longer in a secret location.
3: Yeah, it's very disclosed. And we have two special guests, which you share a background with. And we'll get into all of that. Craig and Sean, what's going on? Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, Ian. How are you? How are you doing, Lauren? And we are really excited because... Qualified is at the cutting edge of marketing. We're going to talk about all that, but also you've both spent a career in all things marketing. First question, start with Craig. How did you two meet?
5: (laughs) Well, you know, Sean and I, um, when we got out of college, we worked for the traditional enterprise software companies when we were kids. You, You know, Oracle, SAP, PeopleSoft, names that most people don't say in the world of B2B marketing anymore. Uh, but you know, we kind of got that background working with large companies flying across America, selling and implementing uh, all types of enterprise software that gave us a really good background for understanding different types of companies, different types of industries. And then we came across one another in 1999 at a company called Web Methods. And Web Methods was one of the first companies that tied together B2B corporate systems over the internet, web services APIs. So you might know that today by terms like AWS or the Internet of Things, but in fact, that it was just apps talking to each other over the Internet. So Sean and I met there, and uh, the rest is history, I guess.
4: I've never heard the Craig and Sean origin story before, so that was very exciting.
5: Sean, what was the
0: first, was the first date you guys went on? <laughs> first, <laughs> first work date. That's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, like Craig said, we, we met at Web Methods and this was integration infrastructure in, in 1999. Um, so we ended up actually working on a proof of concept together. And we kind of figured out pretty quickly that uh, we balanced each other out pretty well. Um, some of the things that Craig was really, really good at was you know, I wasn't as strong at, and some of the things that I was better at, Craig wasn't as strong at. And we, we figured out pretty quickly we were, we were a really good team. And we also kind of enjoyed working together. And from there, um, we decided to start our own company, um, which was our first company that we started. It was called Keaton. That company was acquired, acquired by Salesforce uh, pretty quickly. And that was kind of also our entry into kind of ad tech and, and the marketing world in general.
5: Some people say, hey, how did you guys get into marketing? And usually it might be the traditional path. You know, I was in this job and then I got into product marketing and then I worked on this. Well, we just started a company. So (laughs) because we were were in this world of integration, we looked out there, you know, on the internet in 2006 and Google, it's hard to remember back then, but Google was the undisputed king of the internet at Mm -hmm. that time. And what was interesting is very few people outside of the world of marketing realized how Google made all its money. AdWords, we all know that today, but with the rise of AdWords and with the rise of B2B companies spending money online advertising through this channel, we being B2B guys ourselves, we were thinking, well, how do they track ad spend? And right about that time was the rise of Salesforce and Salesforce was very quickly, not yet a household name, but very quickly becoming the de facto CRM application for companies. So we kind of put two and two together, and we thought, well, if marketers are going to increasingly spend money online, specifically through AdWords, but as we all know, marketers have to be able to track the ROI of those campaigns, how are they going to do it? They have to do it in a CRM application. And so we built this integrated
0: app called Keaton, and there's a really funny story of us going down to Google. Sean, why don't you tell it? (laughs) Yeah, so we were one of the first companies to build on the AdWords business API. And so we got invited down to, to Google, to Mountain View, to present it. They're all hands. It's actually pretty impressive. I'm not sure if they still do it today, but, you know, Google put on this amazing event where they have all the employees worldwide tune in for a kind of TGIF where you know, they, they do talk that. about some things. Yeah, we went,
3: um, so my co-founder, Stephanie, used to work at Google and yeah, they would do, we saw the like stage where they would do it all. They still, I'm pretty sure they do it every week
0: yeah I mean it was it was an impressive event and you we got up there and Sergey Bren said, you have seven minutes and you know we were told to to be pretty strict on our timeline um, and we went through this demo where we kind of bought keywords, we created the creative from Salesforce, we published it to the web, we clicked on the ad, we went to a lead form, they filled out the lead form and then we tracked that into Salesforce it became an opportunity and then it became revenue and then we actually tracked the original keyword that you clicked on and how much you spent on it, but we gave you sort of your return in in the context of pipeline and revenue, which for B2B is what we think about all day. And as soon as we were done with the demo, um, they have this concept of Nooglers, where when you're a new hire at Google, they wear hats with propellers and multicolored hats. And guy raised his hand and he said, I don't get it. And at this point, I'm thinking, wow, I hope we didn't just bomb this presentation in front of all of Google. And he said, I don't understand. You just paid a bunch of money for your keywords. You drove them to your website. They searched for your product and service and you just had them fill out a form and you sent them away. And so I'm thinking, he said, why didn't they just check out? Why didn't they just check out? (laughs) (laughs) So we said, no, no, this is B2B, man. This is B2B. It's very different. There's a different process. Um, And it's, it's kind of interesting because um, today um, over a decade later, there is a lot of data, you know, a lot of times where someone came from. Um, you have a lot of data about the people that you're selling to and your customers. And we think it's kind of time that the B2B sales process started to inherit some of those functionality that exists in a B2C process.
5: So we ended up getting, you know, into the deep, deep, deep into the world of CRM through the, the launch of our first company, Keaton. And about a week later after the launch, we got a call from this guy named Teen Zoe. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we interviewed uh, Teen. I'm, okay. sure, I'm sure the audience knows he's the He's the brilliant CEO of Zora. Mm-hmm. And back then, however, Teen was just employee number 10 at Salesforce with some brilliant ideas. And Teen called us and said, you guys have to come over to, to Salesforce right now. So he ushered us into to Mark's office. It was Teen, it was Mark, and it was George Hu, who's the CEO of Twilio now, some you know brilliant founders of the early days of Salesforce. And Mark pounded his fist on the table and said, do you want to sell me this company? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so- we said, oh, OK, well, we'll do that. And it was the second acquisition Salesforce had ever uh, done, which led to our work there for more than seven years during a really formative time. And then you had the
3: toughest leadership challenge of your life shortly after that. Lauren Vaccarello came into your life <laughs> and you had to manage her.
4: <laughs> the worst.
3: I couldn't imagine.
4: Yeah. I actually have. A, I don't know if Sean and Craig know my, my Keaton story and my Salesforce for Google AdWords story. So I was a salesperson Google AdWords customer. And I remember early days in my career, I was um, doing sales and marketing for a trading company. And it was all lead gen. And someone fills out a form and they go to a salesperson. And I was kind of double dipping since I was doing the selling. But I was also running their digital program because when you're in your 20s, working 14-hour days for one salary doesn't seem weird. (laughs) And I remember... Spending all this money on AdWords and then also getting leads as a seller and going, some of these leads are better than other leads. And, you know, how do I just make sure I get better leads for me so I can hit my number quicker so I don't have to work 14 hours? So I was like, there has to be some sort of way to figure out what keywords I'm spending money on are driving the best quality leads that are converting and making the most money. There has to be some way to do this. And then somehow I stumble across Salesforce for Google AdWords and being young and stupid, I went, I bet I could do this integration. I bet I could do this. You were young and smart. I was was young and (laughs) very smart and just had no idea that I shouldn't be doing these things and went in and did the implementation, somehow got access to our Salesforce to go and set everything up, started running Salesforce for Google AdWords and completely changed our entire AdWords spend, cut a million dollars a year in advertising because it was keywords that were driving leads that weren't converting to revenue cut all of that reinvested my money in better keywords hit my number faster because I prioritized the good leads for myself um, <laughs> because there was no such thing as lead routing so I just figured out how to do that and routed myself the better quality leads and started on this whole soapbox for the last decade plus of if you are doing any sort of b2b marketing you have to understand, offline conversion metrics. And you have to start with Salesforce or Google AdWords, figure out offline conversion metrics. And it had been my soapbox for years. And then when I ended up working at Salesforce and then working for Craig and working with Sean, all of a sudden I went, you were the guys that made my career. This was why I was so good at this early on is because I needed to figure out how to do this. You already did this. And then I just looked like I was really good at my job because I figured out something a little bit sooner than everyone else did. So that is my that is my Salesforce for Google or, uh, origin story. That
5: is awesome.
3: awesome. Off mic, she said that she's like Craig is probably responsible for about thirty percent of the success of my career. <laughs> uh, so pretty cool. So, so getting acquired, you know, for for our listeners who have never had their company acquired, especially by a rocket ship like sc- Salesforce, what was it like to like join the team? Like, were you kind of confused about what the job was going to be? Or were you confused about like how we fit into the larger scheme? What was that like?
0: Well, we didn't think it was going to be confusing. Um, we thought we were going to integrate our product into Salesforce core, and we were going to, you know, kind of enable the sales team to kind of message it and position it and figure out the pricing packaging, kind of the things you think about when your product is acquired by by a company like Salesforce. But uh, very quickly after we got in there, uh, Mark called us into a meeting, and, and you know, Mark's you know known for empowering people to to do big things, and that's you know one of the many things he's known for. And he called us into a meeting and said guys, here's the deal. Craig, you're going to be the chief marketing officer. (laughs) And Sean, you're going to take over our small business strategy. And so we just, you know, kind of absorbed that. And we walked out of the room and Craig said, did I hear him correctly that I'm the chief marketing officer now? I said I think that that's the case, and that's kind of how we kind of moved into some of our roles at Salesforce. We were simply told by Mark that that was the case. Now, in
5: reality, that's not exactly how it played <laughs> out. So, uh, I spent a few res- years running product marketing at the company before moving into the CMO role in 2011. It's pretty wild
3: that to get like that type of scale so quickly. What was what were those first years like as? You know, so you took over CMO in 2011. Correct. So, what was it like to, you know, be at the forefront of like what was happening with like sales across the across the globe?
5: Well, Salesforce at that time was just a total rocket ship. And here I was being given the keys to the marketing kingdom at one of the powerhouse enterprise sales and marketing companies and and frankly, I was I was completely scared. Because probably like most CMOs and certainly CMOs on the show that uh, that I've listened to, the very first time you step into that role, you're thinking, oh my God, am I supposed to be the world's foremost expert in every B2B marketing discipline on the planet? Yeah, mm-hmm. And it, my, you know, my background was really in products and product marketing and selling and positioning and messaging and public speaking and events. And that's all great. But then you step into the world of... PR, and you're responsible now for ultimately running Dreamforce, which was something like 30,000, 50,000 people at the time. B2B demand gen, the rise of of Martech, and there's this overwhelming fear that, oh my God, I need to be, I, I need to know it all and I need to be the best at it all. And in reality, that's just not true. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, that's probably the biggest fear of, of first time CMOs. But you know, what I did at Salesforce is I just there was an amazing team. First of all, to start out, there was an amazing team and surrounding yourself with hitters, each in their own uh, discipline. For me, that was uh, there was a, a brilliant woman running events and a brilliant woman running uh, PR and a great tag team duo, gentleman and and podcast host here who were, <laughs> running, who, were, who were running demand gen and surrounding yourself with hitters. But just making sure that the entire organization is aligned, priorities-wise, to what the the CEO wants you to deliver. And keeping those priorities aligned helps everybody in the organization understanding how what they do drives value for the company. And if all else fails, you know, uh, our famous uh, CEO, Mark Benioff, whose name is spelled (laughs) M-A-R-C, he always used to say, Craig, never forget, marketing at this company is spelled with a C. (laughs) M-A-R-C-E-T-I-N-G. <laughs> so, you know, as a, as a great mentor and there are other great leaders at the company like George who that I mentioned, it was just a really great time and I had a killer opportunity and it was really fun working with that team.
4: And I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's something that I took away so much as a from working for you and from Salesforce that anytime I talk to someone who says, well, what, what is marketing's goal? What is marketing's job? What do you want to accomplish? It's, well, don't ask me, what are we trying to do as a business? Like, what are our main goals as a business? Where are we going? And based on that, this needs to be the marketing strategy. And then, how do we align all of these different functions to drive business goals and business outcomes? It's not just about this one piece of marketing. It's about how we fit into the overall, how we fit into the overall org, and how we move the overall org forward.
5: He, you know, it was at that time, Lauren, You, you taught me so much about B two B demand gen because it was right at this time right around the the turn of the decade 2010 or so when there was this explosion of marketing technologies and 2006 2007 maybe even a little bit earlier with some vendors was kind of the beginnings of what we know today as marketing automation and we're we're here live at serious decisions 2019 summit in austin texas where there's four to five thousand b2b demand gen Mm -hmm. revenue driving experts And there are hundreds of vendors at this show, and we're sitting right here uh, on the podcast that's sponsored by Salesforce Pardot, which is one of these core technologies that was created at that time. And uh, this kind of brings us to really what we're working on today, which is what is the continued evolution of the MarTech stack? What is the evolution of B2B demand gen in the world of sales and marketing?
4: I remember in 2010 or 2008, 2012, your advantage is how quickly are you going to adapt new technology? And so much of it has become table stakes. And what do we do with it matters even more. And there's so many new ways of thinking about how we market, how we drive demand. And the landscape just changed so much to what is the best way to connect with your customers? It's not just about the bits of advertising and targeting aren't enough anymore. And it's what are you doing in terms of connection, driving conversations and really engaging that. Super exciting of where the the industry is going right now.
3: So we recently interviewed um, Adam Blitzer, founder of Pardot. and one of the things that he was talking about was about like this idea of like category creation and like marketing automation wasn't a category. So you, to, to your point, right? Like back then, 2010 timeline, like the analysts didn't even want to call it marketing automation. That's what he's saying. What you all are working on with Qualified. And this idea of conversational marketing, um, and one of the reasons why we're, so, why we're so excited to have you on the show, kind of feels like this is the important next evolution of marketing automation and marketing. Can you share more about what is conversational marketing and what you're building at Qualified?
5: Absolutely. Conversational marketing is a very simple concept. And that concept is, if you could know, based on the data that you have inside of your company and the data that's at your fingertips, in real time, when qualified prospects arrive on your website, why not open the door, greet them and have a conversation in a real conversation, not just over a chat, but over, over voice, over a screen share, really in an online meeting, those lead to conversions, conversions of leads into pipeline and pipeline into revenue. And that's the basic concept, but it really goes back to, you know, why is this happening now? What is happening in the industry that's led us to this precipice of change? Because for more than a decade in the world of B2B marketing automation, we've been doing things in a very, very very simple way. As demand gen professionals and VPs of marketing and CMOs, we spend ungodly amounts of money trying to find targeted prospects. And we use every piece of data and every single tool under the sun to try to figure that out. Started for us back with Google AdWords, but now we've got this explosion of new technologies. Nearly every single advertisement targeted ad that's running on the internet today drives people to a company's marketing website, a B2B company's marketing website, that's dub, dub, dub landing pages, right? The whole mark, the mark, the whole marketing site, even radio ads go to bonobos.com to yeah, learn more, totally. right? Mm. So if everything, if, if every bit of campaign spend that's trying to find targeted qualified prospects is driving them to a website, why are our websites littered with forms? And the reality is they're littered with forms because most companies don't have a way of really easily determining which ones are the qualified buyers and which ones are the unqualified buyers. And they can't, they can't have their sales reps talk to everybody. So they have to put a form. They have to collect some information. They have to go through their checklist of, of qualification. And then only those so-called sales-ready leads make their way over to the sales team. And if you've ever sat in, a, in an inbound sales pit, you'll see that those folks work their butt off chasing down qualified leads, trying to get them re-engaged, just trying to ask them some basic questions of what are they trying to do and what kind of value are they looking to uh, to achieve and who else are they considering and do they have a budget and what's their timeline? And you know these basic questions that salespeople ask, that's just a meeting. That's usually a phone call. And so if you look at this process that B2B uh, sales and marketing teams have been using for the last decade, really everybody loses. When I say everybody, I mean, VPs of marketing and demand gen lose because they spend tons of money that never leads to a conversion. Buyers lose because the ones that are qualified and they're ready to talk to sales, fill out a form that ends with, thanks, we'll get back to you later. Right. And they were they were ready to engage and they got sent home. And then the sales teams lose because they work their butt off chasing down leads with over a third of those qualified leads never responding and completely ghosting them. And in a process where everybody loses, there has to be. A period of change, right? This is the th- this process is ripe for change. And that's what conversational marketing is. And that's why we created Qualified.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the, the sort of misconceptions about conversational marketing is that it's chat. Facilitating one-to-one conversations with the right person at the right time in the buying cycle is hard to do. Um, it's not about replacing forms. Um, it's really kind of refactoring your process. And the bar has changed for us all today. If you look at the sort of the I'll draw an analogy to the B2C world. You know, B2C is often out in front of B2B a little bit. They have, they have more data, they have more feedback cycles, and oftentimes they're out ahead of us in front of in, in tech. And if you look at the the world that we live in today, when you call an Uber, you or Lyft, you expect it to be there in minutes. Um, These services that we use today are highly personalized. They have a lot of data, it's very data driven. They know, they they give us recommendations based on who we are. They use our name when they greet us. Um, And they're fast, they're really fast. So this new bar that the buyer has, as B2B marketers, we need to evolve to meet that bar for our buyer. And uh, conversational marketing is kind of uh, representative, I think, of the evolution um, that we're going to happen. And conversational marketing is now a magic quadrant. Um, this is something that companies are going to have to have a strategy around uh, going forward.
3: So wait, is it is it like officially a new magic quadrant or is it going to be like, where are we at in the category creation of conversational marketing.
0: Yeah, if you go to G2 Crowd, which is one of the sites um, I go to a lot to understand what vendors are doing what and what people are saying about those vendors, much in the way that you saw converse, uh, marketing automation kind of, you know, with some a few vendors a decade ago, and now it's so crowded, you can't even tell who's who. Conversational marketing is new. And there's a couple players on there. And we think that that category is going to get pretty big and significant over the next decade. We just have the CMO of G2 Crowd on. That's great.
4: Actually, and I, I completely agree with you as we start to think, you made a really good point about B2C leading and all of the ways we are now being trained for instant response for the world is speeding up. I expect things to be instant, specifically tailored to me. We are being trained in our personal lives all the time for this. But in so many ways, marketing today is still being done the same way marketing was done 10 years ago, five years ago on the B2B side. And one of the things I've seen time and time again as the most important factor for a lead to convert to an opportunity is timing. And if a seller does not get to a lead within two hours, you might as well set it on fire. It doesn't matter anymore. And really within 15 minutes, and the thing with conversational marketing is the exact second that someone is kicking the tires, interested, you're able to start to engage with them at that moment where it is really, really top of mind and you don't have that, oh my gosh, I hope I can get to them within two hours or what's what's the point?
5: Well, what you're saying is, is spot on. A, a sales team, the humans that a company hires, they're a very precious resource, mm-hmm. And you can't have your humans talking to just everybody. That's why we named our company Qualified, mm-hmm. because you want to put your human sales reps against your most qualified target yeah. buyers, and you want to let automation, like kind of chatbots and things like that, kind of me- auto yes. meeting bookers handle the rest. But you know, there's a group of probably, you know people out there in the industry right now that think that chatbots are just going to replace a sales rep, and we are so far away from that even being a topic of conversation in our opinion. And so what we're trying to do at Qualified is we're trying to really supercharge an inside sales team by only passing them qualified prospects and then giving them the full stack of meeting tools, not just chat, Mm -hmm. but screen sharing, phone conversations right through the website so Mm -hmm. they can have a high fidelity, high quality meeting in real time. If you ask a sales rep today, What's your number one selling tool piece of software? If you had to one by one get rid of every single tool until there was one left, you know what sales reps say it is? No. They're online meeting software like Zoom. Hmm. Because look at the Zoom IPO that oh, happened recently. It's, it's absolutely spectacular. And the reason is that you keep a whole bunch of data in in, in systems like Salesforce. You've got a ton of MarTech technology that, that really helps marketing mm-hmm. uh, folks, figure out who are the right people that we should be having conversations with. But at the end of the day, what does a sales rep do to move a deal forward? They have a conversation.
0: Yep. That's right. Every t- when, a, when a sales cycle changes stages, it's based on a meeting. It's based on a conversation. It's based on a demo. Um, and what we're really trying to do is help you kind of orchestrate your human resources and your automation so that if someone's a qualified buyer, they get... Um, a very human-centric, high-touch, high-value interaction. Uh, at the moment, they're looking for your product and service where you can do objection handling. You can talk about pricing packaging. You can kind of have a, a a human conversation. Um, but it's hard to scale that, right? And we have something that we... We say at our company a lot, we say that uh, bots don't sell and humans don't scale. Um, So really what we're trying to do is we're trying to help companies be more efficient with their human resources who are precious, uh, making sure that they're working on high value interactions and then leveraging automation and ideally data driven, very personalized experiences for them as well. But um, efficiency is kind of efficiency and speed is really the the thing that Qualified, I think, brings to the table. So... Curious what your thoughts are on
3: like the construction of sales teams as it changes. Because one of the things and why I think what you're talking about resonates so much with me is this idea that I think what we built were these kind of sales machines that like have a very structured SDR, BDR, AE, customer or AM or customer success or whatever, all this stuff. And we, you know, taught, you know, email high and all this sort of stuff, trickle down, all this. But then what the ending like yeah that worked and then it worked really well and then now we kind of are inundated constantly with the 22 year old recent college grad that's like emailing you know the cmo and i think that those are my favorite yeah i know and we all get those all the time Um, and i think it's one of those things for specifically in b2b like that just ain't creative anymore and it's not moving the needle and it's annoying as hell so when you talk about this idea of having a qualified prospect, only talking to the right person, that's what's so exciting to me because you want to get your those qualified people in front of the people who crush their quotas, right? Like we don't want to give them to the person to have a conversation that clearly doesn't know what the hell they're talking about, especially if you're talking like enterprise software where it's like this one deal needs to be in front of like our best folks, um, not, you know, the random person who's like a, a new hire been there for three
5: weeks.
4: Oh, I've had so many conversations about lead routing saying if I get the CIO of NASA coming in, they should not, Ever talk to my 22 year old SDR yeah, or VDR? I don't care what the routing rules. If you are the CIO of NASA, give me to someone who actually understands the product, the company, the business, and can have a conversation that is in. Do you have a project that you want to complete in the next six weeks? That is the wrong qualification question for the CIO of NASA.
5: Well, Lauren, as you can attest to, one of the things that I've been famous for in, in, in my career is really focusing on the company's website. I think I, and Sean and I are roughly the same age, we were born at the time when the website became the face of an organization, yeah, a B2B organization. It is right? the
4: most important marketing asset you have. And
5: so as it's the most important marketing asset you have, if you look back over the last decade, we haven't materially changed corporate websites. There have been a lot of advancements in design, Right. Responsive design. There's been a lot of advancements in, in, in the layout and navigation yeah. and content and information architecture and information hierarchy, video and things that you can do on a site. But fundamentally, the way that a website treats a buyer has not fundamentally changed. It's so true. It's <laughs> very and funny. so as as a result, the thing that really got us thinking back to that Zoom point that Zoom or or uh, an online meeting software was the, th- the thing that you used to sell. Well, we thought really simply, we asked a question before we started this company. Why is your website not just an online meeting, but it can't be an online meeting for anyone? So in your example, if the CIO of NASA or the the VP of analytics at Apple or whoever your target buyer is, if that person comes to your site because you've targeted them or you've cookied them or they've previously filled out a form or... Uh, or they're on your landing page or they're on your pricing page, whatever their behaviors are Mm -hmm. and whatever you know about them, why is your website not just a meeting? Why aren't they already in a meeting with the right person from your company given the white glove treatment? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Being greeted by name, being connected to the right person. Why can't they just press a button and talk to somebody? Right. And so that was kind of the genesis behind what we've been creating at Qualified. It's a conversational marketing application, but we've got a unique take on it as far as websites are concerned.
3: And I would add to this, too, that I think as the you know customer experience and that customer journey changes, if the CIO of NASA, for example, if you're selling into that, uh, shout out to them, whoever they are, um, we'll link up their bio or something. Um, if you're selling to that person and they want to get on a video call. Any sales rep in the entire company would volunteer to be on that, right? Like instantaneously, you're like, oh, I get it. Yeah, you want to hop on a video call. And I think what's interesting about that is that that it creates a new position. Like it creates a new skill set. Like, yeah, technically they're a salesperson, but you have this like on-demand sales personality that can get on immediately and have this conversation when you want to talk to a human. And that's completely different than... AEs now that it's like blocking 30 minutes, you know, every single second of every day. So you're enhancing the sales, entire sales experience. You know, uh, Adam Blitzer said on the podcast we did with him that, you know, marketing has two customers, uh, the customer and sales, right? And so if you're giving sales people a tool that's new and creating new skill sets, like what an advantageous position to be as a CMO or
5: marketer. Here's why it really, at the end of the day, here's why it really matters for Heads of marketing and heads of sales is because right at this stage of the funnel where you've identified somebody as a marketing qualified lead and you're trying to get your first line sales representatives to have a conversation with them, the faster you can do that. And with the greatest level of fidelity, that's what moves the needle into stage one pipeline or or sales accepted leads or whatever you want to call it. And so if you just ask us, ask yourself a simple question. If I could identify the qualified prospects the moment they come to my site and my sales reps were in an instant online meeting with chat, with screen sharing and voice with those people in real time without sending them home, could you convert one out of a hundred more to to? Mm two? Some people say. Oh, I could probably convert five, maybe 10 out of a hundred more. And if you have that level of conversion impact at this level of the funnel, it has a meaningful impact on pipeline and oh, revenue.
4: It's completely a game changer. And you are, so much of this is how are we re- uh, removing friction for our most important prospects and customers? How are we better deploying our sales organization? How are we, also you're going to end uh, a cost of sale during the entire process. It's You can waste less sales reps time, which means they can have better, more meaningful, deeper conversations with the right people. And I think the game used to be how many how many humans can we get to fill out forms? How many leads can we get? We'll get a really big top of funnel. Okay, then we'll do everything we can to qualify that. And now it's I don't necessarily care about quantity. I care about the quality of who's coming in. Quantity helps if you don't have quantity. It's hard to get quality. But it's not just about this massive top-of-the-funnel amount. It is how do you get the right people at the right time and then get the right person on the inside to kind of go in and create this uh, frictionless experience for them.
3: So do you think that as conversational, like the rise of conversational, how do you see sales and, and marketing, um, that sales-marketing alignment, you know, that's always a hot-button issue, how do you see you know them sharing the band or whatever how, whatever that does that change? Does qualification change? Does what an MQL and an SQL change?
0: I mean it's a good question, and I think um, just like the evolution of any set of systems and processes and, and technologies changes, change is going to come in personnel. Change is going to come in the metrics that drive you. You know, in the sales team, we always run around saying IRT, 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 because there's a direct correlation at which the speed that you engage with someone who is looking for your product or service is a direct correlation that's very strong. So What's IRT? Initial response time. Yeah. yeah, so how quickly you get back to um, someone who's looking to buy your product and service, right? And a lot of times there's a qualification framework that goes along with that, something along the lines of Bant, where really you're just trying to explore initial fit, do we have the thing that you're looking for? Are we gonna be in a price range that accommodates us both? And I think, just like when when Zoell got up on stage in 2007 and talked about how field marketing had changed to a two-tier model, and they introduced the inside sales organization, or back then they called it the telesales rep, to do qualifications so that AEs weren't focused on unqualified leads. And the whole B2B marketing industry scrambled to put that in place the birth of marketing automation, right? And that's over a decade ago, but we're still kind of operating on those same principles. But the difference is now we have a lot of data. Like you look at ABM strategies where you're like, we're very targeted. But again, there's another alignment problem because now sales is focused on the account where marketing is focused on the lead. Those are their core objects. Yeah, right? totally, yeah. So in in the conversational marketing world, it's a little bit different because it applies to both. Conversational marketing applies to you if you're doing an ABM strategy because you know that someone's a director or to use our CIO of NASA example, you know that they're on your website, you know that they came from this campaign, you know that they've had this history of interactions with you. You kind of know what the conversation should be about and you know who it should be routed to, right? Um, But if it's just pure inbound and someone's doing some more research, it's a good idea to get in touch with them quickly and have a conversation because they will go look at your competitor's site right after they look at yours. Right, In today's world, speed is paramount, Right, and that's, that's kind of the, the, one of the core concepts is that B2B marketers have to raise the bar at the speed at which they operate. And that includes how fast they respond, how quickly they engage someone in conversations, how fast they route that to the appropriate sales rep. This is just a new world we're living in now. And Look,
5: in, in today's world, Sean, you were making the point earlier that everything is happening faster and faster and faster and faster. If I want to watch a movie on Netflix, I just, I just watch it, right? If I, if I want the, the new track that's delivered by uh, Taylor Swift, I just stream it, mm-hmm. right? When I want groceries, they show up at my take door take. In, in two hours. <laughs> <laughs> and so everything is happening. I don't have to hail a cab and wait. I just Uber and it's there. Everything is happening in real time. Yep. And so the name of the game this year is real time. And back to your, your point about IRT, initial response time. A core thing that, you know, we've been running around saying is, why isn't your initial response time zero? Mm-hmm. For, yeah. for qualified prospects. For qualified prospects. Yep. Why isn't your IRT zero? And that's a, that's a fundamental change in how people think. I think that's what's going to bring sales and marketing teams together.
4: I, I do. And it honestly starts to make B2B mimic B2C even more. And it, With e-commerce, if I'm a consumer and I'm looking to buy something, super easy i go in, i put it in a shopping cart i click a button and i'm done and with b2b i go and i go to the website i fill out a form maybe i'll get an email maybe someone will call me maybe i put in the right phone number i probably didn't because i don't want to call because they're going to call me at an inopportune time and i don't necessarily want that initial con that contact versus everything we do now is i was like you wait two That's hours for your point. groceries Can we
3: take off uh, hold on i gotta do something on this can we take phone numbers off the freaking intake form? Like, does anyone... I mean, real, do, when was the last time you got a cold call that you appreciated? Zero. Yeah, yeah zero. Never, right? Can we just take phone numbers off? What are we doing?
4: And versus, <laughs> wild. Versus now, if you're thinking about conversational marketing, I want this right now. I'm super interested. Do I want to give you my phone number? I don't really know you. But if I could connect through the web, have the conversation with you the moment that I have a degree of interest... Now that degree of friction is gone, I'm actually able to engage with you. And if it turns out to be the product that I want, it's a good seller, it's engaging, I have no problem giving you my actual contact information because it doesn't feel, I don't know, weird. I, It doesn't feel weird after you actually engage and know that this person is not going to call me 85 times a day with a terrible product.
3: And like, just nobody wants that. I no. mean, and I, and I want to dive into the ABM stuff a little bit more because I think, I think it's really interesting for like, you know, speed contact to contract for one of the or a company that doesn't necessarily sell ABM or something like that. Or maybe it's a smaller buying team. But for these massive buying team, for these like nine person buying teams where you have so many personas that you're talking to, that which means you need to have exponentially more conversations and exponentially more confusing conversations. How does conversational fit into ABM?
5: There's a great story that we're going to be telling this week with a company called ThoughtSpot. ThoughtSpot is a modern uh, business intelligence and analytics product that's kind of based on this entire concept of Real time why can't you get your business data out of your corporate systems in real time with a Google search yeah they're right, actually they're actually here.
0: classified as an enterprise search an AI driven analytics company oh interesting and they are also sort of towing the same line around the consumerization of, of business intelligence so it's about getting people accurate up-to-date insights about their business but as easy as using a consumer app but thoughtspot has a really
5: healthy inbound business. Now they have some relatively expensive products and therefore very specific types of of people. They've got a healthy inbound business, but ABM is at their core because they've got their targeted set of accounts. They call them their diamond accounts. You can imagine the types of companies these are. The Walmarts and the you know Apples and the Ciscos of the world are the target accounts that they want to sell their products to and they have they're probably at the forefront pioneering conversational marketing, and they've got a pretty complicated MarTech stack. But the way they think is that when anyone from Cisco or Apple or Walmart who's been touched by one of my campaigns, who's responded, who have cookied, who sits in the same department with the VP of data or analytics, when any of those people come to my website, over and over and over again to research pricing or look at content or because they click through a, a, a Gartner landing page where they want to read the new Magic Quadrant, I want my reps talking to those people right now. And that's how ABM and conversational marketing tie together.
3: You know, I, I wanted to touch on, you know, we talk a lot about the, you know, B2C side stuff. And I always think it's interesting to look about, look at the most commoditized industries as like being best practice. Like in a recent episode, we talked about how like all the fast food chains are, have the best social medias. It's like yeah, you have to be super creative if you're you know selling cheeseburgers. Shouts mm-hmm. to all those people. Uh, cheeseburgers are delightful, <laughs> but uh, you know I always think about like those Geico ads, that, like you know fifteen minutes could save you fifteen percent or more. Like that call to action is not just that I can get you done in fifteen minutes and out the door. It's that you're going to talk to a human being right now. If you see this ad and you want to get that quote, you're going to talk to it right now. That's the thing with B two B, especially with the fact that the globalization of technology and, you know, a lot of countries that traditionally were not players in enterprise that are coming, you know, online and increasing that presence. What happens when someone's on at 1 a.m. Pacific time and nobody's nobody's there to, to hop on a video chat? Like, how, what does that look like? Do you think that there's some early best practices here for how, you know, ABM and conversational can kind of shape the, the modern enterprise?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, it, look, capacity is going to be a big part of this thing. You only have as many people as you have. And when someone's not there, you know we kind of use the same philosophy um, that if you engage with some automation, whether that be a form or, or a bot, in that sort of interaction that a prospect has with a form or a bot, you do some qualification. Lead form, you ask for size of company or geo or primary or secondary product interest. And based on that, that's how it gets routed on a form. Um, if you're engaging with, um, for instance, a lead bot, one of our technologies is called lead bot. Lead bot can actually ask some questions and then based on the answers to those questions, it can put them into a different experience. And if there's a person who's, who's online, they can in immediately engage with you after it's gone through this qualification process, through some automation. But if there, there's no one online, then we'll offer you up the meeting booker and then you can book a meeting with someone at their next available date to talk. So, you know, again, it's kind of it's kind of trying to apply efficiency, right? So even if someone's not qualified, wouldn't you rather know right away instead of engaging in an asynchronous game of tag through emails and phone calls and calendar scheduling just to find out that there's not really a fit? So, you know, again, it's, it's about speed and efficiency. And if you don't have people and capacity, um, then you still want to put in place the right processes, the right routing, the right metrics. So, you know, I think it's going to I think people are going to take a really hard look at some of the things they've been working on for a long time over the last decade. Companies have been working really hard because putting putting in place your go-to-market and your demand gen process is, is a journey. You know, it doesn't happen over days and weeks. It happens over years. And there's a lot of trials and there's a lot of successes and failures and a lot of money and a lot of hard work that goes into it. And I think we're sort of, as Craig mentioned earlier, we're kind of on the precipice of another pretty major evolution that I think ABM represents. And I think conversational marketing represents it as well. I love the idea of the death of the uh, are we a fit conversation
3: because it signals two things. Number one, as salespeople, we love having that conversation because we get to convince someone of why they should want to buy this product. In reality, that's that's not what we should be doing anyways, right? So just eliminating, like if you could, you know, eliminate half of the are we a fit conversations that the answer was going to be no. Like how much bandwidth for the company? That's just super exciting.
4: Actually, and one of the things that this makes me think about is the is telemedicine right now and if anyone has done uh have you ever used any of those sort of one medical telemedicine you ever been sick at four o'clock in the morning <laughs> a lot of where telemedicine is going right now is here's the form here's the qualification fill this out because you don't know if it's four o'clock in the morning and i'm jumping on one medical by the way one medical telemedicine's awesome if you can even help me over sort of a, a video call or a video chat and it is the here's the qualification here's the intake form if the answer is, yes, you can help me, I get routed to a doctor. If the answer is, you have to come in, I get routed to sign up for an appointment. And what I thought was really interesting, and it sounds so much of sort of taking that playbook as my, my tangent is, I got this terrible chest cold and I was heading to Thailand The fall, a few days later, woke up in the middle of the night, feel awful, can't really breathe. I'm like, I should probably go see a doctor go on one medical, answer a bunch of questions. And it was, oh, you can help me literally from my bed in the middle of the night. And it was, hold for a second for a doctor. And I kid you not, three seconds later, a human being popped up on the other side. And I was like, it's a good thing I really don't care and I'm this sick because this is not, did not expect a video chat. And had this conversation in two minutes, got diagnosed, sent a prescription over for me to pick up by the time I woke up in the morning. I didn't have to schedule an appointment, go into one medical, sort everything out. And when you don't feel well, that is the last thing you want to do is have extraneous steps. And they were able to solve my problem super quickly, get medicine the next morning, don't have to cancel my trip. And it was how do you use the combination of what's the right data, what's the right experience and what's the right route in a way that makes me this sort of fierce advocate of the future of telemedicine. But also, if you think about the amount of time that one medical spent with me was, I don't know, all of five minutes for the call with the doctor and then a couple of um, basically text or chat follow ups of what do I do for five minutes of time, they're able to reduce the cost to serve, able to give me a better experience and actually make more money off of me during the process. And it sounds like a lot of what you're, you're building, even on the conversational marketing side, takes those angles of. What's the right information? How do we qualify? Once we qualify, which direction do you go? And then, can you, based on that, what is the best way to convert or sort of send in a different place?
5: You just had a conversational marketing experience with your doctor. I did. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. And as you're
4: talking about this, I was like, "This is why I loved my one medical doctor's experience so much." I Think we have them coming on the podcast. I'll have oh, to check. Can we tell? Can no, we no, tell I them how much the I love the? I love what they're doing. I think,
3: think we. But it, it's interesting that We're having these conversational marketing experiences, but just we're not having them for B two B yet. Tell us a little bit about the the big announcement that you're making at Serious Decisions. Is that today or tomorrow? When is it? It's today. Oh, it is today. Yeah, it is today. Oh, geez. we're here.
4: This is this is breaking news. But when the podcast gets posted, it'll be <laughs> not so breaking. It'll be it'll be broke. It'll be
5: yeah. It'll
4: yeah.
2: But yes. Well,
5: Sorry. as you all know, Qualified is a conversational marketing application. Uh, And it's the world's first conversational marketing application that's built and running natively on the Salesforce platform. And the reason that that's so important is because Salesforce has become the de facto uh, customer master. It is the place where B2B companies store their customer data. Of course, not everybody on the planet, but Salesforce is is really that company that has the lion's share of the market. 99 of the Fortune 100. And if you're using Salesforce- We got
4: to get that last one.
5: If you're using Salesforce as your customer master, it's called Salesforce CRM or their sales cloud product, then your conversational marketing activity just tie right in. And they tie right into all the core objects that you use inside of Salesforce, right? Your leads, your campaigns, your contacts, your accounts, your opportunities, your reporting, your dashboards, the works. But- as, as we have been on this journey, this conversational marketing journey, which is really in its infancy and we're looking forward to the next decade, we were like, there is a huge thing missing here. And that is all of the data that companies use to qualify inbound visitors that's sitting over inside of their marketing automation application. And so we took a look around the industry. And, of course, you mentioned Adam Blitzer, who's the founder of, of, of Pardot. And we talked to Adam and And we were thinking, if companies use Salesforce at their core and those companies are increasingly using Salesforce Pardot, which is the B2B marketing application from Salesforce that's built on top of the same platform and the same CRM database, then we should just be able to take in all of that data from Pardot in real time. And when we say you can qualify people who come inbound to your website in real time, now what we mean is that… Any data and any process that you have inside of Salesforce Pardot, you can bring that right into your qualification engine and you can use your Pardot campaigns, your Pardot landing pages, your Pardot pixels. So when you cookie somebody and they they come back and you know who they are, your Pardot forms, your Pardot data, like lead scoring and grading that determine that intent and fit. And then of course, Pardot emails, right? One-to-one emails or or, or blast emails or these nurture journeys You got all of that core capability in Pardot, and now all of that data in real time is utilized by the qualified application to determine, is this a sales-ready, qualified prospect for my team to talk to? So a great example would be if, Lauren, you came back to my website for the fifth time and I had a little bit of information about you, but you exhibited characteristics where your Pardot lead score in grade bumped above certain levels because you responded to a nurture campaign, we would immediately be able to recognize that and open a door for you to talk to a sales rep or let a sales rep proactively talk to you, sharing your screen, seeing what you're doing on the website, opening a conversation over chat, upgrading that conversation to a high fidelity voice call, and now converting you into pipeline. And without the Pardot data, You still have a lot of core capabilities because you might know where somebody comes from or their behavior on your site or a little bit of information about them. But when you can combine the Pardot processes and data into a conversational marketing application, it's super, super powerful. And the key message here for us is that because Qualified is built natively on the Salesforce platform, same with Salesforce CRM and same with Salesforce Pardot that makes the entire system work harmoniously out of the box. And so today we're excited to introduce Qualified for Salesforce Pardot. And if you're listening to this show and you're a Salesforce or a Pardot customer, you can go to qualified.com slash Pardot to learn more.
3: That's really exciting. So also, I don't know if you you all know this. um, So Mission's a Pardot customer, uh, and we're also obviously a Salesforce customer. It's something that I think is so exciting like we're using we have like a totally different use case than probably anyone else on the planet cuz we do we use you know podcasting is like part of the overall ABM strategy and just the way that data and shaping this stuff is so exciting cuz we you know we're a media company so you know we reach a lot of people every day you know mm-hmm. we reach like 3 million people a month a lot of noise when you have those type of conversations but yeah we're really excited just as a company to to follow on with Qualified and, and see what what's next and see this integration. So, um, yeah, exciting stuff. Okay, so let's get into implementation because I think there's a lot of our listeners out there who are like, yeah, this sounds great. Conversational sounds great. Like, how do I actually do this? If you're a CMO, VP of marketing, marketing leader, how should you actually
0: look at implementing conversational? You know, just like anything else, it's a journey. Um, it's not a it's not a big bang, go live with conversational marketing. It's something you can implement in phases. And I like to use the analogy, have you ever taken a standardized test where they teach you how to take the test, where they say you do one, two, three, four, then you skip and do 11, 12, 13, 14. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you end up not having enough time and you don't answer something, that was a hard one and you might've got that wrong anyway. So, you know, I sort of use the same analogy for implementing conversational marketing, where you, took your, you look at your demand gen budget, you look at where you're spending on your... Um, sort of your some of your campaigns and your most expensive ones you want to make sure you talk to those individuals right so you can start sort of high figure out like where is my demand gen budget um who am i driving to my site let's make sure i give them a high value high touch experience right and then you can kind of work your way down and there's kind of a burn-in so once you start implementing conversational marketing you'll notice that you're having different interactions you're having things are happening that you haven't done before and over time Uh, the thing you'll realize is that you may want to make systems changes and you may want to implement integrations to other systems of record, Uh, Salesforce, Pardot, Clearbit, Demandbase, because at the end of the day, it's about arming you with not only the right time to have a conversation, but also the right kind of conversation to have. And a lot of times that's going to come in the way of talking about competitive products, talking about how you price and package. And sometimes that doesn't happen as early as it does in a sales cycle as it does when you're engaging someone on your website. So I think the thing to think about is you're going to have to do capacity planning. You're going to really have to look at sort of lead flow and where leads go and what systems um, are a part of this thing. Um, But the nice thing is you can do it in phases. You can kind of ease in, you can start with some of your high value campaigns and then you can kind of roll that out as you see fit.
5: And every CMO... And every head of demand gen has this basic data at their fingertips. You Actually, you probably have it off the top of your head, or you can run a report in 30 seconds that gives you, why am I spending so much money on these campaigns? Usually that means because they've performed historically. Why do I invest so much time in these forms or these landing pages or these pages on my website? Because you know that's where the, the quality pipeline tends to come from. Why am I spending so much money with these types of, of people, with these job titles, at these target accounts, right? So when you take a step back, you're like, wow, this feels like, a, this feels like an overwhelming change. It's a process change. The reality is start small. I think that's the key message. Pick your highest value campaigns, your highest value pages, the things that convert well for you now, and just supercharge those with conversational marketing. And then you get into like a phase two and a phase three. And the best way to do it is to start off and have one 30 minute meeting. Take your CMO or your VP of marketing, your head of demand gen, and your head of inside sales or your SDR manager. Put those three people in a room and say, guess what, what are our KPIs? I bet within 10 minutes, everybody says, well, it's stage one pipeline, stage two pipeline, close Mm -hmm. pipeline and revenue. Okay, great. So everyone's aligned around the same thing. And we go, okay, well, we want to embark upon a pilot to try to move the needle on those, taking our most high value traffic drivers, campaign drivers, website pages, and identifiable personas. And we want to start with conversational marketing on those. Then what we're going to do is in 30 days, we're going to go check and see what happened to the KPIs. That's the best way to get started. Do, do a pilot and take 30 or 60 days and get, it, get the ball rolling with something that's obviously going to impact your company in a positive way.
3: Are there any like pitfalls or things that people when they start to do conversational uh, like screw up early on?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, it, again, it's, it's new. It's pretty nascent. You know, it's, it hasn't been around for a very long time. And I think that um, when you hear how important conversational marketing is, there can be a tendency just to put it on their website and let people know they're using it and just kind of jump into it. And um, that's not going to work. Um, You really need to think holistically about your whole process. Um, You need to understand sort of what type of traffic you're driving, what kind of engagement you want to have. So you're going to end up with a lot of different experiences that you're creating. And the last thing you want to do is give a prospect or a customer a bad experience, especially if you're in a subscription-based business where churn will put you straight out of business, right? So you really have to think about the entire end-to-end process. And I think one of the challenges you have to involve different teams, right? You're talking to marketing because they're the ones running um, the campaigns. You're talking to sales because they're the ones doing engagement. You're talking to SDRs, the first line of defense. So you're talking across the entire process, into sort of different areas of the business. So you have to have stakeholders across the business. You know, one of the things that I've always found interesting is how much time people spend on attribution, which is important. But at the end of the day, it's about pipeline and revenue for the business. And that's why I think conversational marketing kind of brings it all together into kind of one team.
4: I mean, I I couldn't agree with you more on that. And having the spending a countless amount of sort of hours and time on how do we understand is this sales attribution, is this marketing attribution, all you are are moving pieces on the chessboard versus how do we actually make all of this bigger? What I've liked about account-based marketing and I like about conversational marketing is it takes so much of that away. It's not about my credit or your credit, and it's not about marketing operating in a silo or sales operating in a silo. It is only successful if you bring all of these groups together, you get buy-in across multiple teams, multiple departments up front, and you say, this is not about my win or your win, and it's not about we're going to argue about you know million dollars in pipeline sitting in this bucket or that bucket. It's how do we move the needle for the entire business? We want to give this a try. Who's bought in? How are we going to test this? And if and when this succeeds, this is about all of us. This is about the collective win, and this is about success for the company
5: there are really two common pitfalls when companies embark upon a conversational marketing solution. The first is that people think it's just chat and there have been actually more than a decade of sales organizations trying to put chat on a website. And the reason that that has never taken off is because you're missing a key layer. You're missing who's qualified to have a conversation, right? And, If you just put chat on your website, you're going to open up the door to talking to everyone and their brother, which no sales team wants to do, and you're going to shut it down. You're going to say that project was not successful. Mm -hmm. The second thing that that companies fail to recognize early is that there's been this rise of chat bots. And so there has been a belief in the industry for the last year that you can put this so-called chat bot on your website, even when your SDRs are asleep. And it will actually have an intelligent sales conversation with a, with a, with a targeted buyer. The reality is that couldn't be farther from the truth. And all you have to do is ask a chat bot. One simple question. Why are you better than your competition? And you watch the response to a chatbot and you will realize you have just sent a targeted buyer away running to your competition right? by trying to replace an intelligent human who can persuade, who can handle objections, who can answer questions, who can educate the buyer, who can determine fit. That's what a sales rep does and they cannot be replaced with a chatbot. So be wary of just throwing live chat on your website. Be wary of replacing humans with intelligent chatbots and think about your holistic conversational marketing strategy being based around how do I qualify targeted prospects and how do I connect my sales reps with them in real time?
3: You know, we talk a lot on the podcast about how the point of marketing is to be remarkable, like that people remark about your products. What was your favorite chatbot you've ever talked to, right? What's your chatbot's favorite sports team? What's your chatbot's favorite, like what show are they watching? Did they just see Game of Thrones last night? I think that There's some jest there, but it's also really true. Like, it's just not, we we like to think that these things are binary and it's like, it goes from one stage to the next and then through to sales. Because when you're looking at a dashboard, that's what it looks like. But at the end of the day, the whole, you know, people buy from people thing. Mm -hmm. I know that people buy from, you know, machines a lot more now, but there's a reason why, you know, people went golfing or went to the spa or did all these things with their sales teams. Like, personality matters. Like, it does. Being funny matters. Being empathetic matters. And, like, ultimately, if even if you pass the Turing test, which, by the way, most people don't super love to, you know, be talking to a robot and think they're a human. Like, how many, there's some, like, conversational things out there that, like, have a human's name. And, like, people aren't, like, you know, like, oh, wow, that was like a really fun experience because I am an idiot because I talked to a uh, fake email or like, you know, AI for like 35 emails back and forth. Like, that ain't great. So I just think that as we lose the humanity of that, there's a great, there's all these screenshots of uh, people, you know, asking, you know, random customer success people like, is Joe Flacco elite, right? Because it's like this common, like, you know, sports thing. I think that that stuff is really funny, though. Like, it there's just human-centric questions that... You know, we can build into a chatbot, but, you know, they can't actually answer that stuff in real time.
4: It's so interesting because we are getting so data, we are so data driven, looking at AI and machine learning and how do we automate and how do we move things faster. But in parallel, but we are seeking that sort of deeper human connection. And when you speak to a human, you are going to start to build that degree of connection. And you see this across sort of generations that are coming up now of, you see teenagers and younger all on their phones all the time and have and being air quotes connected with people but not actually having the human interaction and how important that actual human interaction is. And what I like so much about this is they, yes, this is more efficient and you can have a chatbot, but you're not actually, it is always going to be neutral. Where if you're using something like conversational marketing, you can forge that degree of connection with a person where you feel that they actually better understand me and my goals and one of the things actually I remember from from Salesforce years ago when we were thinking about, uh, we were having debates with George on lead scoring and should we hold leads back? And he's like, send everyone, send everyone to the SDRs. And I'm not going to say why he said that because it's better not to say why he said that. But um, part of it was, yes, if we let someone buy online for this product, they're going to buy you know, whatever looks the cheapest because that's how we think versus if we can get them to actually talk to a person and you have a person sit, engage with them, ask them, what are you really trying to accomplish? You were here looking for X, but your actual business goals are Y. And did you know our product, yep, you can solve X super easy. Your business goals are Y. And this is really what you should be thinking about. This is how you should be thinking about engaging in a more meaningful way. And to do that, we also have these three other products that you may want to consider, and you don't get that. You're never going to get that deep understanding and engagement if you don't have a human involved, start probing, and then all of a sudden, a small deal can become a much bigger deal.
5: How is the
3: marketing industry going to change over the next you know, five to ten years? Obviously, we don't have a crystal ball, but.
5: So our uh, great question. And uh, it's, it's, it's fitting that this question is being asked, uh, you know, right here at the, the B2B Marketing Summit, where there are thousands of B2B marketers thinking about this change. And our, of course, our, our great marketing mentor, Mr. Benioff, always was famous for saying at every single Dreamforce conference that he said, in business, people always overestimate what can be accomplished in a year, but they radically underestimate what can be accomplished in a decade. And if you think about what life was like for us a decade ago, there was no Apple app store. Motorola had a flip phone. Facebook didn't have a like button. Yahoo was still relevant. Firefox was our default web browser. It's like, it doesn't, you don't have to think back too far to realize that. Oh my gosh, the entire you know world of consumer technology has changed and the world of, 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 B two B marketing automation and uh, marketing technologies we know it today for B two B companies it's going to fundamentally change, right? And marketing automation is going to look nothing like it does today. the The tools and technologies are going to look nothing like they do today. Everything is going to be more personalized. It's going to be more relevant. It's going to be more real time. It's going to be more on the go.
0: And um, and buyers will expect this. This will be this will be the expectation. Um, this is good. There's going to be it's, it's like Craig said, you know, over time um, things change, but we get so bogged down into optimizing the set of infrastructure and the processes and the systems that we've put in place that sometimes we fail to realize that there's been a macro shift. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what we're saying right now is 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 there has been one.
5: I don't think we're going to be using forms for lead capture. I don't think our marketing websites are going to be static brochures I don't think marketing automation as we know it today is going to look anything like it does today as an industry we're all pioneering this new world and it's going to be better for the buyer at the end of the day it's going to be better for the buyer which means it's going to be better for for our company's top line
4: I I completely I completely agree and I think we're going to start seeing more and more of a shift on how do we focus on driving value for for the buyer so the buying experience is the buying experience becomes a much more improved process. But also, once they are customers, we're building products really to add value for the customer as much as possible. And that that becomes the expectation. The days of, I bought this product and I'm stuck with it, is rapidly decreasing. And it's forcing companies to become more and more customer-centric, more and more focused on how are we going to deliver value. And if that can translate all the way from, I have a degree of interest. I'm not going to the same brochureware website where I've got to dig through 18 pages to figure out what's relevant to me if I have the patience to dig that much. And how do I clean up the buying process? How do I make it as easy as possible to get the right information at the right time? And once I become a customer, the reason I bought gets delivered and I'm constantly finding sort of value with my top with my top suppliers, which don't become suppliers or vendors. They legitimately are partners and make a meaningful impact on growing their businesses
3: Sean has to be on stage in 30 minutes so we're going to do a lightning round that's really lightning-y these questions are fast and easy just like marketing automation with Pardot fast and easy you can go to pardot.com slash podcast to learn more fast and easy questions lightning round style are you ready gents ready as we'll ever
5: be let's do this
3: we're going to go, Craig, first. What app are you using on your phone that is the most fun?
4: <laughs>
5: the most fun. Uh, I don't know. I don't have a good one. I mean, my most fun apps are the, you know, the usual suspects, in Instagram, Spotify. The only fun app that I use on my phone for business right now is Slack. I'd have to say that's the goofiest one that we use at work.
3: Do you guys have any good uh, good Slack channel? We have hashtag cheese on um, the Mission <laughs> account and uh, got, get a lot of good photos of Gruyere. Shout out to producer Hillary out there.
4: Why am I not on the Slack channel?
3: Oh, I'll add you to cheese and dogs. I mean, cheese I'm and I'm dogs, dogs are both good. Oh, you are? I'm in dogs. Sean. Favorite app? Yeah, on your phone. So oh, it's uh, fun.
0: so I've been. I I have two 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 daughters, four and six, um, and they have just discovered that they can create playlists on Spotify. Um, that's they are also very into kids bop. So I've been using Shazam an awful lot to identify songs to put on their playlist. So a uh, little bit of a late adopter there, but Shazam is kind of the one that's kind of really always at the top of my my apps list right now.
3: What would be your best piece of advice for a first time cmo
5: or founder either or well i'll take the cmo one and then you talk about the founder as i mentioned before best advice for a first time cmo is that you don't have to be the the, the pro at everything and you're not going to be the pro at everything and your job is to align and inspire an organization and your your true job is to is to hire or retain or motivate the people, and all your key job functions, whether that's events or product marketing or demand gen or PR, you go around the entire, you know, marketing organization, hire and inspire the best and make sure everybody's aligned and focused on the corporate objectives and you will succeed
0: as a CMO. Advice for a founder, uh, you know, Craig and I have started, uh, this is our third company and um, it depends, I won't speak for all founders because they're all different. The first question I think fundamentally is um, if you and your family are in a place to, to do a startup, startups are incredibly time consuming. Um, you don't have a lot of resources. You have so many things to do. Um, I think the first question you ask uh, is, is my family or am I in a position to invest this type of, in, in this type of adventure? It's not lucrative at the beginning at all. It might um, not ever be. It might not ever be. And you've got to put in right. about seven years. Yeah. And the, the, the odds, if you just look at statistically, the odds are overwhelmingly against you. So it may not be the best gamble. But if you have passion for something and you have a, a good team um, and you want to make a run at something, it's incredibly rewarding. Um, one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. But I think the first question you ask yourself is, are you in a position to do it in your life?
3: Who's your favorite person that has ever worked for you? That's sitting in this room.
5: <laughs> well, there's all, you know. There's there's only one. There can only be one. At the end of the day, it's obvious. It's Lauren Vaccarello.
3: <laughs> I thought he was going to. I thought he was going to say Jonah. It was really like Jonah was doing some side audio work for you back in the day.
4: Me <laughs> uh, No, we had to ask that one.
3: Um, favorite book or recent podcast read or listen to?
0: Favorite book well Marketing Trends is hey I, have, yo. I, have, I have a commute and Marketing Trends is is always on so usually when I get in my car it's Alec Baldwin
5: <laughs> um, which I quite
0: enjoy yeah, uh, and, I li- and I love listening to the content and the topics and you guys do a great job so um, yeah, that's actually the, that's my number one podcast. Hey, oh, on my yeah, we'll take that.
5: <laughs> um, Mine is Planet Money. I think Planet Money is great. So and yeah. N- NPR podcasts, you can just get quick, quick bites. If you're uh, on your commute, super fun to listen to, you know, at Qualified, we just got done raising our uh, Series A financing. So we also- uh, have been listening to Brad Feld's Venture Deals. Oh, yeah. Very, how, to, very, how to be smarter than your lawyer. Very, very, very exciting, but you just, you got to be on a, a long car ride for that one. <laughs> I mean, it's,
3: yeah. Uh, anyways, I was going to do a whole tangent on podcasting for VCs. I think it's just so great. You're like, wow, I get to listen to how they all think. This is super advantageous. Uh, what campaign have you seen recently that you're
0: jealous of? Campaign that I'm jealous of. Almost any Geico commercial, anything Geico does makes me makes me want to be more like that brand. Uh, just in terms of the way that they always have a clear, concise message they're trying to get across, and they do it in a way that makes me laugh, and makes me happy, and makes me identify with the problem they're solving. For,
5: for me, I'm always inspired by fast food because they have to they have to innovate at an insanely fast pace. First of all, I love the fact that. Taco Bell uses seven ingredients and never stops coming out with new, 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 new products. <laughs> yeah, products, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Doritos Locos taco. I mean, it's <laughs> in, totally insane.
0: Um, and by and, the way, I've been working <laughs> with him for over 20 years and, uh, it's a taco or a burrito 95% of the time, <laughs> but
5: the, the KFC chicken and waffles where Colonel Sanders, uh, held up the Aunt Jemima bottle to dirty dancing's. I had the time of my yeah. life. Spectacular. <laughs>
3: Oh, I do have, this is okay, final last question. Final final. Final final. What is the one question that you never get asked that you wish you were asked more? Are you 64 or 65? Six <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I thought I thought you were 65. Um,
5: you know, for on a professional basis, I think it's what are your biggest faults or tell me about the times in your career when you really didn't think you were going to be able to achieve and how did you handle that situation? Because a lot of what we talk about in enterprise technology yeah. are the wins, mm-hmm. right? And so we go around the room and we get different guests on our, our shows and we connect with one another in the industry and we talk about how did you do it? You know, you succeeded. How did you do it? But behind every single success are 10 other failures. And I think that's the way Sean and I think as entrepreneurs there are way more lows as an entrepreneur than there are highs. And you just have to have the mindset that I'm going to achieve. Like, I'm going to succeed. I just haven't found the right way to do it yet to get to that next milestone or, uh, or land that next customer. Or in the case of conversational marketing, invent a new, new market category. So I think it's um, – we, we should talk re- about that more Realistic optimism industry.
0: is kind of the, um, the position that we take. You know, we try to be optimistic – um, but we also try to be realistic.
3: I love it. Everyone go to qualified.com. Check them out. Guys, this has been great. We'll have you back soon to talk about all those lows. We'll do lo- lows of marketing uh, episode with, uh, with Craig and Sean. Ian,
5: It'll Lauren, cheering, okay. thank you for having us on the show. Thank you so we much.
4: appreciate it. So excited
5: to have you guys. Talk soon.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in our show notes.
1: You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic.